Welcome to a Capgemini podcast on demystifying cybersecurity. I'm your host, Carl Cully, and um, I'm really pleased to be joined by uh, cybersecurity expert Chris Cooper, who will offer his insights on this very often complex uh, topic. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Thanks, Carl. Uh, could you um, introduce your, your, your role? Yes, certainly. Um, so I have the pleasure of uh, leading the cybersecurity team for Northern Europe within Capgemini. Um, so I have around 350 people uh, across across both the UK and the Nordic countries um, with a, a whole range of cybersecurity experts from consultancy through to managed security services. Well, I, I guess we'll uh, start by setting the scene of an increasingly complex uh, threat landscape. Cybersecurity, I suppose, becomes more and more complex with it, with uh, you know more and more solutions like hybrid cloud, etc., available. So, how can enterprises effectively manage their security services end to end? Yeah, so if if we start by thinking about you know, what's causing that uh, that increasing complexity, uh, it comes down to a number of things. Now it's the the increased complexity of technology over the last decade, whether that's uh, private cloud, public cloud, software as a service. Now all these different things have changed the environment. Um, the regulatory environments changed significantly as well, so there's much more tougher regulations such as GDPR around. Um, but also the the, the threats from um, uh, both criminals and nation state sponsored attacks has also increased significantly. Um, so we used to think about it in terms of detect and respond. Uh, protect would be the key part there um, before you worry too much about detect and respond. Uh, but that model's changed over the last few years. So NIST introduced uh, a five layer model uh, and the, the kind of the focus moved from that prevent to detect. So now if we encourage our customers to be thinking more about having end-to-end visibility of their, their security environment uh, so they can detect something happening as fast as possible and then they can respond to it rather than trying to you know, build up huge castle walls that prevent anything from happening in the first place. Okay, so could you advise on how to properly manage identity and access management? And, and maybe we can, you can also um, give our, our listeners a bit of background on, on the difference between those two things uh, to start off with. Sure, yeah. So identity access management as a mechanism suffered when it was first launched um, a number of years ago now because it was seen as a bit of a silver bullet. Now, one of these pieces of technology, you could just plug it in, it would do its thing, and magically, you, you know, you had a much higher security. And now, as time's gone on, people have realized that there's actually much more to it. So firstly, as you, you know, you indicated, Carl, there's identity management, which is about managing the attributes of the user. And then there's the actual access management piece, which is controlling your access to different systems. But none of this works without having the, the, the people management and the processes around it. So you still need, uh, critically, a, a starters, leavers, and movers process. Uh, and that's one of the fundamental problems we find with most clients we talk to when they're looking at these systems is they don't have that in place. And they don't know when people are joining, when they're leaving, and when they're moving to a new role and therefore need different types of uh, access rights. Could I've got the here are sort of um some some notes about um access management best practices and a couple of them were uh, pinpoint and eliminate high risk systems and also crack down on orphaned accounts. Could you talk a little bit about these? Yeah, so orphaned accounts is really thinking about 
the, the levers and the movers process. Now, it's, it's accounts that were created for an individual that may not be in the organization anymore, uh, may not be in the role that needs that account anymore, um, but they've been effectively left there. Um, so they're not being actively used, but of course, because they're open and they're, they're uh, usable, then they're a risk that uh, uh, somebody gaining access to the system could try to use those accounts to do things. So you always want to try and remove those things. So in terms of uh, high risk systems, this really comes back to the, the NIST model that I mentioned earlier is that you know, now, rather than trying to build uh, castle walls around the perimeter of the environment and, and you know, try and stop everything, uh, we like to focus and identify those key systems, those key data sources that are most important to, your, to you as a customer. Um, so it's it's identify those systems and make sure they're secure. Uh, and you might also add no other layers of security like encryption and things around them as well. Okay. So can we uh, talk uh, a little bit about patch management uh, and, and sort of cover what it is? It sounds a little bit like uh, dog training to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but can you tell me what it is and why it is uh, so important? Yeah, so, so patch management is all about making sure your, your software across your environment is up to date and any vulnerabilities have been um, patched, <laughs> for want of a better word. This is something that's been around since you know, since the beginning of computing. Effectively, has always been this this process of patch management. And as a industry, as you know, an IT industry, we've never really got control of it. We've never been good at making sure we're always up to date. Um, but it's just as critical today as it always has been. And most vulnerabilities uh, and attack mechanisms use some kind of vulnerability that often hasn't been patched. So if you take something like the, the WannaCry outbreak in 2017, um, now that caused huge damage globally uh, in many organizations. And one of the worst hit was the National Health Service in the UK. Um, mm -hmm. And it was purely because they hadn't applied patches, some of which had been out for over a year, um, but they'd not applied them. And therefore, the vulnerability still existed in their systems. Um, so well, something that's relatively simple uh, is actually um, really critical to your security. So while they were patching people up, they were perhaps not <laughs> patching their, uh, their IT yeah. up enough. Oh, dear. Absolutely. Oh, dear. Okay, so as, as security is, is so often tied to digital transformation initiatives, cybersecurity perhaps needs to be integrated from the beginning. And I've heard this phrase used in the IT bedrock. How can, can organizations go about ensuring this is the case, uh, Chris? Yeah, so this is really um, about making sure cybersecurity is in the, the whole end-to-end -end environment. Um, so traditionally, what tended to happen was now you, you would design a new system, you would build it, you'd be about now a day away from deploying it, uh, and then you suddenly go, well, perhaps we ought to get security to have a look at it. It was very much an afterthought. Now, that creates tensions in that security will then often say there's, there's things you've missed here um, now you might have to delay the launch but also you haven't got the best security built into the to the end-to-end -end environment so now we actively encourage all our clients to make sure they build security in from day one now include the security experts from scoping the solution that you're looking at through design build test and deployment um, and make sure that that security flows through it um, rather than being trying to bolt it onto the side. Uh, and that can make a huge difference to 
now you your the security of your applications and things going forward and particularly now in this this new threat landscape um, that's critically important can we move on to talk about the the various cybersecurity maturity levels and how companies can benefit from strategic and technology partners yeah absolutely so uh, now security maturity was something that was uh created over the last few years to try and help companies understand where they are in that security journey. You know, how secure are they? So security capability was aligned with um, the CMMI model, which was uh, originally created for software and things. Uh, so it's a five-layer model, looking at you know, very basic level through to advanced maturity. Uh, an IDC, for example, have got a model that goes through from ad hoc uh, security, opportunistic security, repeatable, managed, and then optimized security. Um, so, okay. so these things can be used to assess your own security within your own environment. Uh, but you can also look at it from a managed security services provider uh, perspective in that by using a, an MSS, you're effectively buying into more mature security because they should have that repeatability in place. It should be actively managed and it should be optimized to make sure you're seeing you know, those key alerts that you need to see rather than all the noise around it. Sure. And those the security levels you just mentioned, Chris, of ad hoc, opportunistic, repeatable, managed and, and optimized. Is that a kind of industry-wide recognized standard? Um, the, the five layers are, are pretty much standardized across the industry, but you'll see different labels from different companies. I'm afraid it's uh, there, there is no a formal sort of ISO standard or anything for this. Um, so you, you will see different labels, but they are prin- principally aligned in the same way. Okay. Um, can we talk about cybersecurity in the age of IoT and cloud? And of course, uh, you know, cloud and IoT is kind of um, burgeoning and has exploded in recent years. And so uh, the cybersecurity needs to be more than up to the challenge. And how, how complex does it, it make things, uh, cloud and IoT? So um, this is obviously a huge topic, uh, IoT and cloud. Um, so I'll do my best to cover it in the time we've got. But now, cloud is reasonably well defined now in that you typically have private cloud, public cloud, and hybrid environments. Um, mm-hmm. But the the way that you're uh, monitoring and managing that security is completely changed because suddenly you're very dependent on Microsoft Azure or um, AWS or Google or whoever you're using for your public cloud. So that changes the the environment you have to deal with. And you have to kind of include it as part of your overall end-to-end security environment. IoT is um, is really that is the next step of uh, complexity that's coming in. Now, IoT and cloud are two completely separate things, but IoT isn't really well defined yet. So, no, typically you can think of it as being any device that's connected to the internet, but that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no really would cover everything. More typically, it's considered to be sort of devices that be connected, and that could be anything from you know, an electricity smart meter uh, through to your kettle or your fridge. But a lot of this is about consumerism. So suddenly, all these devices are connected to your home. So you might have smart lighting, you know, different smart home things like through Google or Amazon or whoever. All of these things can be connected, and then they suddenly become a potential point of vulnerability. And of course, if you're then connecting into your, your corporate environment from your home network, that net, that link is potentially there as a, as a way of gaining access to a corporate environment. And on the flip side of it is that consumerism piece where 
companies that are making these devices are suddenly responsible for the security of those devices in people's homes, um, which, of course, is a completely new new environment for people to deal with. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Sort of, um, yeah, and the sort of law and culpability of certain things then comes into play, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and no, they're, they're forecasting that by 2020, so only next year, there'll be free IoT devices for every human on the planet. So no, we're talking about vast numbers of these devices that are out there. Absolutely. So it seems like the greater the connectivity, the greater the potential for, for vulnerabilities, more, more entry points. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, we've already seen um, compromises for uh, printers uh, in the home, baby monitors, uh, even hot tubs have been hacked um, in, in the in the last twelve months. So, you know, a number of these uh, devices and, and companies are only just starting to understand what they need to do to keep them secure. So, let's talk about um, managed security services and and what value can organisations get from using a dedicated security company. So, so part of this comes back to what we were saying in the beginning about the more complex environment. So you, you've got the increase in the technology and everything and the, um, the regulatory environment. Uh, another key aspect, though, is, is people. We all know that cybersecurity resource is very scarce. And the, the, no, the most recent research suggests that by 2021, there'll be three and a half million cybersecurity resources unfilled. Uh, globally. So that's part of it is that you know it's very difficult to get enough people to do this for every company individually now. But also ultimately you know you're using a, a specialist provider of managed security services because they have the expertise and the experience and they can make the investments that you often can't make. So no we can invest in the people to make sure we've got the, the latest highly trained people. We can mm-hmm. invest in the latest technology because we're spreading those costs now across multiple customers rather than you buying it you for yourself yeah and, and then we have the, the people and the, and the process and the maturity in place to actually be able to do it to a, a higher standard now when you back to the, the five layer maturity model again so you're, you're really buying into that experience and that expertise but also of course it becomes about sharing intelligence because we're seeing security threats and things as they happen across you no know, thousands of customers across the world so we can share that intelligence to make sure we're protecting all of our clients as best as we possibly can. Whereas if you're trying to do these things yourself, you only have your own area to be able to monitor. It's a very fast moving market from a threat perspective, uh, and that drives new products. And some of those products have more value than others. So you know, we spend a lot of our time looking at these new technologies and things and saying, well, will they actually bring real value to our to our clients? Um, at the moment, for example, the, the, the big area is around SOAR platforms. So this is about automating and orchestrating uh, things in the background so that you can respond that much quicker when something happens because you no know, automatic uh, triggers go off. Um, so we're investing in those platforms for our customers. But no, this, these are significant inve- financial investments. Uh, plus, it needs rewriting, run scripts and everything else to know how we're going to respond to incidents. Um, okay, well, uh, you touched upon it earlier on, uh, Chris, but can we talk about, uh, and when I say we talk, uh, can you talk about, <laughs> about with your, with your uh, expertise, talk about uh, GDPR and how complex, and it's not only GDPR, is there? I heard there was a, a, a new sort of uh, Californian equivalent, the CCPA, just come out. So all of these are regulatory requirements with, with the sort of transfer and sharing of, of data. This makes uh, things 
much more complex. That's right. Um, no, GDPR is the, the big one that's known about. But as you said, a number of regions and countries around the world are starting to follow suit with similar things. Uh, and this really changes the emphasis on cybersecurity. You know, it means you have to know where all your data is, all your personal data. needs. You need to know who's accessing that personal data. And if something goes wrong, you have to publicly re uh, register that very quickly you now usually within about 72 hours um, so you don't have a lot of time so you need to understand your environment and what's going on in there um, and it's, it's a significant potential risk as well now GDPR for example carries some substantial potential penalties based on your global revenue so you now some suddenly companies are at the risk of a much more serious fine than they ever were. Now that you used to be able to, some companies would consider the fine less than the investment you needed to make to do all of these things. That's mm -hmm. changed completely. So we, we're just starting to see the first sort of real use of that legislation. Um, so yeah. the, these are really substantial penalties now that you know, hurt the bottom line. So it, it's, uh, it's changing that uh, environment. Uh, but also, of course, it's making customers much more aware of the security because yeah. you have to announce that you've got a you've had a problem uh, and then you have to persuade those same customers that you fix the problem and it's safe to carry on using them as a company. Uh, otherwise, yeah. the brand damage can be huge. Yeah, a potential damage to reputation that can can be irreversible, I suppose. These days, with more and more options, uh, cyber security solutions and options on the market, would it be fair to say that it's it's more customer centric than it's ever been? Yeah, I, I think um, you know, traditionally cybersecurity was a, a, a bit of a, a department almost off on its own, um, doing its own thing. It wasn't part of the main business now, in, in the same way that IT wasn't. Um, now a decade or so ago, uh, and that environment's changed significantly. It started with the the change in the role of the the head of security, which then became the chief information security officer or the CISO, and that role is now still gaining more and more importance. Now many companies now have those as uh, reporting directly to the board um, or even being on the board. And certainly, if if nothing else, there's typically somebody on the board now who is personally responsible for uh, cybersecurity within that company. Security needs to understand how the business works and also the impact it has on the business when it makes certain decisions. Now, if it decides to lock something down, is that going to impact the something that the business is actually doing that is driving the profits? Um, so they need to understand that. On the flip side of it, you then you've seen it also in the managed security services market. So traditionally, you would just go out and buy a, a an off-the-shelf service. Um, no, it, it came as it was. Now they'd already defined it, and you actually you had to use it in that way. As the markets expanded and matured, you now have. A, a range of things from off the shelf, which is the, the you know, sort of the, the cheaper end of the market. And then as you go through the market, you become a much more customer centric through to completely bespoke systems uh, and security monitoring environments. Um, so it, it is a big change in security and an important one, I think. It's uh, cyber security needs to recognize the impact it has on a business, both positively and negatively, if it doesn't do its job in the right way. Well, it, it seems like a, a, a fascinating uh, field to be involved in, Chris. And I'm wondering, what, what do you find most exciting about, about your role? What, what's the most interesting thing? So the, the main reason I got into cybersecurity and why I'm still in it today is that 
rapidly changing environment now it means every day is is different um there's always something going on there's new things to learn new threats to counter uh now it's it's a, a challenging and uh, really interesting environment to work in well it's uh, it, it sounds ex- exactly that and thank you so much for for joining us i've uh, thank you for your insights and elucidation on on this uh, fascinating topic and um uh yeah i've enjoyed myself thank you for joining us chris Thanks, Carl. It's been a pleasure. Our next podcast is on zero trust architecture with special guest Louis Dolabert. So join us next time. <laughs>